This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, February 17th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Telluride Fire looks to voters for funding increase. Forest Service and County collaborate at Matterhorn. A day in the life of a miner with Finton Cole. And a mountain weather forecast. The Telluride Fire Protection District will be going to voters this spring asking for a mill levy increase. Our intention is to move forward in May with with mill language on on our ballot um, to to continue um, with funding the fire district. And this would be a, a four mill ask. That's Telluride Fire Protection District Chief John Bennett presenting to town council this week. As a special district, the Fire Protection District doesn't need approval from town council to put a mill increase before voters. The presentation was an opportunity to update council members and the community on the plan. We are looking to go for a film uh, four mill increase to produce approximately uh, 3.6 million annually, um, having an effect of about $51 a month on a $1 million assessed home value. A mill levy is a property tax applied based on the assessed value of a property, with one mill equaling $1 per $1,000 of assessed property value. The Fire Protection District currently has four mill levies. If voters pass the increase in May, that would bring it up to eight. Bennett says the district needs the increase in funds to address a number of issues facing the district. For one, an increase in need. Call volumes continue to increase at about a 10% uh, rate annually. Um, Last year, we did about 1,704 calls, of which um, about 218 were interfacility transports to either Durango, Grand Junction, or, or Montrose. He says they also need to look at upgrading facilities. Uh, We've got some station remodels that we need to address at stations one, two, and three, primarily housing for our shift folks. The district needs to pay for staffing. The Fire Protection District is shifting from a purely volunteer model to a mixed model with paid and volunteer firefighters and EMS. The Fire Protection District did receive a federal grant that's helping with staffing costs, but that will run out in 2025. Bennett says there are also needs coming down the line for replacement of fire trucks and emergency response vehicles. We need to look at a training facility, something local that we can get our folks in that we get not sending folks to Montrose or to Grand Junction or over the hill to the south of us, but something locally that we can get daily turns in or shift turns in. And of course, housing. We're looking at how do we keep our responders close? Right now, we have a response circle of two hours. So we have some folks in Ridgeway or Norwood or Rico, Dolores, as far as Durango or Montrose. So, you know, our goal with essential workers is to keep them close. Bennett adds they're also hoping to install early wildfire detection systems into the county. He notes it doesn't feel good to continue going back to the community for more tax dollars, but it's necessary to keep the protection district functioning. It's hard for us to be to put ourselves in a position of going every two years back to the taxpayers to to inch and survive. That's why I'm trying to put 
this organization in a position to be able to address the issues coming forward and the forecasting that not only we do in-house, but we've utilized our third-party consultants to, to confirm. The Telluride Fire Protection District will put a mill levy increase to voters this May in a special district election. The district will also have two board seats on the ballot. Just north of the San Bernardo community and across Highway 145 from the Priest Lake Nordic Trails sits the Matterhorn Mill. The wooden building rises to roughly eight stories in height and is an early example of a flotation mill used for processing minerals from nearby mines. Janet Kask, director of parks for San Miguel County, describes a possible second life for the historic building and the surrounding landscape. I would love to see this become sort of like a community within itself, not only with the Matterhorn Millet being the uh, the destination there, um, but, you know, be a tying in a small park, a trail, um, obviously the affordable housing component, a picnic site, restrooms, parking, etc. Cask is describing San Miguel County's speculative plans to acquire the Matterhorn Mill, restore it as a historic tourist attraction, and build an affordable housing community on nearby land. The county has applied for $500,000 from the Environmental Protection Agency to get the project off the ground. Cask says the money has multiple aims. Whereas the, the Matterhorn Mill is the centerpiece of this grant, um, it does uh, include um, funding for other historic structures within the county itself. And one thing we were proud of is that uh, we were able to highlight the need for affordable housing as part of the outcome and benefit of reuse strategy with the grant. The land is currently owned by the U.S. Forest Service. Norwood District Ranger Megan Eno says USFS is excited to work with the county on the project and is thus willing to collaborate with San Miguel throughout the lengthy acquisition process. In a typical scenario, if uh, another entity were to try to acquire um, a portion of Forest Service lands, the entirety of that process would fall on the responsibility of the proponent, and that would include survey, appraisal. Now, because we recognize that um, it is a benefit to the, the mill site itself, that it would um, potentially become county owned property, we're willing to participate in that process and then basically pitch in, in in a way that we would normally make the third party pay for for all of that because it's to their benefit. Kaskin Eno spoke before the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners at a work session earlier this month. A survey of the land is complete and the next step is an appraisal of the property's value so a land exchange or purchase agreement can be drawn up. The mill sits on a 21-acre plot of land surrounded by private property and separated from USFS land by the highway. Eno says the Forest Service would like to see the county take the whole parcel. We would want you to acquire it in its entirety. That way there's no longer Forest Service lands on that side of the road. It does, it would, that's what the benefit to us would be is it's cleaning up our property boundary and I'm not going to have a 10-acre parcel that I now have to manage as Forest Service lands into the future. So I'm hoping that you want the whole 21 acres. Um, otherwise, I need to revisit um, what the benefit is to us moving forward. You know, adds transferring the land to the county would open a path towards restoration and more active use. And then the other benefit um, is is the long-term maintenance management and interpretation of that mill site. Like we do not have the capacity as a local unit um, to, to take care of that site in the way that I believe that the county will be able to in the future. So the historic preservation component is, is another strong rationale. County commissioners agreed to proceed with the plans to purchase the entire 21-acre parcel. The next step is an appraisal of the land, 
which will clarify purchase options. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. This week on A Day in the Life of a Minor, Telluride High School's Finton Cole checks in on high school basketball. Have a listen. Look at my eyes, man. You can't touch this. The streak is intact. The Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl 38-35. Patrick Mahomes was an MVP throughout the game. Andy Reid is 64 years old, making him one of the oldest coaches to win a Super Bowl and he's not done coaching yet. Boys varsity basketball won against the Dolores Bears 60-42 and also won against the Nucla Mustangs 48-43. They will finish off the regular season with a home game against the Caprock Academy Eagles on Saturday the 18th at 5.30 p.m. The last time they played Caprock, they lost 39-38, but that was just by one point. Things are seemingly different nowadays. It looks like we have a four-team basin tournament in the near future. The Dove Creek Bulldogs lead with the Blue Jays behind them, and we follow in front of the Mustangs. We're so excited for our team. Here on more about the basketball teams is Mr. Murray. I heard that you were not just the girls' basketball coach, but also the athletic director. How long have you been an athletic director? I believe this is my ninth year here at Telluride High School in that role. I noticed on Max Preps that the Miners had a road game against Duray on Valentine's Day, which is February 14th. How did that go? Well, actually, that game got postponed because um, on Tuesday there, the weather came in and got the snow all going, and then we both were a canceled school year and Telluride on, Telluride on Wednesday. So we're kind of on hold with that one, and the regular season's wrapping up on Saturday, so we're not sure if we're even going to be able to make that one up. I heard the JV girls team won a game this season. How did that go? Uh, yeah, the JV girls won a game in Dolores here last week. Um, that was a great game. It was really fun for those girls, and it was nice to see all their hard work and commitment kind of paying off as they were able to, to pull one together and, and get a win. The last time the boys' basketball team played Caprock, we lost by one point. Do you think the boys have what it takes to win this time? Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, I'm, I'm actually very excited that we're playing Caprock at the very end of the season because when we did play them earlier in the year, it was, it was at the very start of the season. So it'll be fun to see playing that same team that we, we started off the season with and then end it with and see where the teams have improved and how, they, how they're doing. The four teams I mentioned earlier, Nucla, Telluride, Mancos, and Dove Creek, are getting fourth, third, second, and first seeds in the Basin League respectively. If Dove Creek goes down and we win, do you think there's a chance that we could win the Basin League Championship and advance to the state final? So, you know, how it kind of works in our league, we're a multi-league classification or multi-classification league, and we're in the two-way portion. So what will happen is next Friday and Saturday, we actually have the district basketball tournament with our two-way teams, um, and that'll be in Ridgeway. So if we are to win the two-way portion of that district tournament, the the boys will advance on to the regional tournament, and we'll see how they do from there, and, and if they can make a run at the, make it to the Denver area and, and in the state. Mr. Murray, thank you for allowing yourself the time to chat with us. I appreciate it, Fenton. I'm Fenton Cole, reporting live from Telluride High School, and we'll see you next week.
How can teams and coaches build a sense of belonging, connection, and accountability? That's what John O'Sullivan, coach, author, and founder of Changing the Game Project, works to discover. He and his co-author, Jerry Lynch, um, they're team and culture, team culture and leadership development specialists. And they've been part of a combined 120-plus championships at the collegiate and professional levels. And have worked with coaches and teams with some of the biggest universities and many coaches across um, the NBA, the PGA, and multiple Olympic sports. They've interviewed some of the world's best coaches, athletes, um, psychologists, and sports scientists um, focused on in the realm of high performance. That's Tony Nash, president of the Telluride Education Foundation, an organization focusing on the enrichment of education in Telluride. Next week, O'Sullivan will be in Telluride to lead a conversation on how to be a great teammate. As they've um, traveled the world, they have been constantly um, asked by coaches, athletic directors, athletes to address two main issues. One is um, they, everyone desires a strong, positive team culture. And that includes high levels of teammate accountability, competitiveness, caring, and connection inside and outside of the competition. And then secondly, to produce an environment of, um, you know, really healthy well-being, mental health for their athletes through psychological safety, inclusiveness, diversity, and respect. The conversation with O'Sullivan will take place on Wednesday, February 22nd in the Palm Theater. There will be a conversation for parents and the community at 5.45 p.m. with a discussion for coaches at 7 p.m. How do you address a period of life gone by? How do you remember and memorialize a time of disruption and loss? Those will be the topics of a writing workshop led by poet Rosemary Watola Tromer at the library next Tuesday, February 21st. The Dear 2020 Writing Workshop will provide an opportunity to reflect on the losses and blessings of the pandemic as it begins to fade into the space of memory. The two-hour session will involve poetry readings, discussions, and free writing, which will hold space for the past and look to meet the moment anew. The workshop runs from 5 to 7 p.m. in the library's Telluride room. Space is limited, so register at telluridelibrary.org. An online version of the workshop will take place on Wednesday, February 22nd from 9 to 11 a.m. The Big Game Season Structure sets the calendar for when, where, and what types of big game are available to hunters across Colorado. Setting the BGSS, as it's called by Colorado Parks and Wildlife, is critical to maintaining healthy wildlife populations. It also determines where and when hunters are able to head out. CPW is currently setting the BGSS for 2025 through 2029 and is asking for public comment from hunters, recreators, and other concerned residents. Comment is open through March 15th and can be submitted at engagecpw.org. There are almost 500 orphan wells in Colorado. The abandoned oil drilling sites pose continued pollution risks. KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports state lawmakers are considering a way to cap the wells and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. 
State regulators say orphan wells leak carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and create safety hazards. A new bill at the state house would look at filling those wells with a form of carbon-rich charcoal called biochar. It's made by burning organic material like wood at high temperatures. Bill sponsor, Representative Karen McCormick, says it's important to find new ways to address air pollution. This is a way to look for uh, innovative um project to mitigate the impacts of climate change and to lower our carbon footprint across many sectors, but specifically in this case, the oil and gas industry. She says filling wells with biochar would trap large amounts of carbon underground and prevent it from escaping as a greenhouse gas. Critics are worried creating and transporting biochar will create its own pollution. The bill passed the House Energy and Environment Committee and will now undergo a fiscal review. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the State Capitol. Last November, the Navajo Nation elected its youngest president ever and the first female vice president to hold that position. Nine of the 24 tribal council members elected are women. The tribal council selected Crystalline Curley as council speaker, the first woman to hold that position. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis of KSUT and KSJD brings us the story. Crystalline Curley has worked in government in recent years as a public information officer for former President Jonathan Nez. Many Navajo people know her from her year as Miss Navajo in 2011, when she appeared at public events across the nation. But it's the first time the 36-year-old has been elected to tribal office. In January, she was narrowly elected as speaker with support from 13 fellow tribal council members. I grew up with no electricity, no plumbing. Crystalline Curley's hometown is Fish Point, Arizona, located in the middle of the Navajo Nation. The only way to our home is through dirt roads. To this day, I still don't have broadband out there or self-service. Her rural background informs her politics. While campaigning for tribal council last fall, Curley made access to infrastructure part of her platform. Bringing water, electricity, and broadband to remote parts of the nation will likely be one of her priorities as council speaker. Our nation continuously faces lack of funding, putting a comprehensive plan or budget plan to get a lot of these communities built up with infrastructure, building that solid foundation. Crystal and Curley has connections to former President Jonathan Nez, having served as his public information officer. But she's also close to current President Boo Nigren. They attended Arizona State University together. It's just very ironic and wonderful to see each other both in the same place at the same time. What we used to talk about in college and really implementing those plans that we used to talk about back then. I've always seen him as a family, as a relative. I always discreet him as my little brother. But navigating the complexities of Navajo government and various interest groups may strain these relationships. Andrew Curley, of no relation to the newly elected council speaker, is an assistant professor at the University of Arizona. He says tribal politics will almost certainly test the bond between the speaker and President Boo Nigren. They say they're going to work together, but in terms of historical trends, presidents and speakers end up disagreeing with each other and taking on opposing stances on important issues. And I suspect that'll eventually happen. I don't think we or Curley are going to be able to escape that fact. Still, he says, Crystal and Curley's elevation to the role of council speaker is significant, placing an unprecedented amount of political clout in the hands of a woman. It is as important as electing a president, even though they're not as highly publicized as a president. So to have a female speaker in leadership 
is a significant advancement for the Navajo Nation in terms of our gender politics. On January 23rd, when Crystalline Curley was elected speaker by her fellow council members, the legacy of Navajo women was on her mind. You know, the first thing that came to mind was my grandparents, my great-grandmother, their teachings of how a woman brings back hope and love and compassion and a huge establishment like our council, our legislators. I feel like it's that time to show that side of our governance and that type of leadership guided through not only understanding, but through love and through hope and resilience. Navajo culture is matrilineal. Matriarchs often play a strong role in families and in community life. With Crystal and Curley's role as Speaker of the 25th Tribal Council, Navajo people will learn whether and how this woman can reshape tribal politics in Window Rock. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for cloudy skies tonight with a low around 15 degrees. Saturday should be partly sunny with a high near 40, and Saturday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 20 degrees. Sunday calls for wind and sun and a high near 35, and Sunday night should be mostly clear with a low near 20. This has been the news for Friday, February 17th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. KOTO News will be off on Monday, February 20th for the President's Day holiday. We will be back with our regularly scheduled news programming on Tuesday, February 21st.